I'm Anwar. And I'm Fairlith. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to Discast. Good afternoon, Anwar. Good afternoon, Fairlith. How are you? I'm so good because I just found the most amazing piece of Disney news this morning. Oh, you I'm so did. glad we're recording today because I found the most amazing piece of Disney news this morning. I didn't even tell Anwar before we started recording. That's how exciting it is. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm stoked. And I have amazing food waiting for me after this podcast. I don't think life could really be better. How are you? I'm good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're you're clearly super, super excited, which is good. I am. Uh, you're gonna be excited soon. All right. When I tell you what it is. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm excited for today because we're talking about Alice, which is going to be very fun. Because yeah, spoiler, perfect movie. <laughs> uh, all right, well, then why don't you go ahead and start off with news? Okay. Okay. I know we have to keep this down to an hour, but okay. So, um, I don't know if you're aware. Probably you are because you're a nerd and I'm a nerd mm-hmm. and we're all nerds. Mm-hmm. But um, Disneyland Paris has been renovating a new resort hotel. Uh, well, as resort hotel is the hotels outside of Florida get. Uh, and it's called Disney's The Art of Marvel Hotel. Uh-huh. And it, it's got the art of Marvel in it. That's the theme. You just have art everywhere of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um but but one of the things they have posted is concept art for Avengers Campus in California oh, because that's Paris nice. is also getting an Avengers Campus. Uh-huh. Um, and Paris is not getting the following news. But Paris posted concept art of the e-ticket Avengers attraction coming to Disney's California Adventures, and now I have exclusive details about that e-ticket attraction. About the big the big Avengers. Uh, I don't even know what the name of that ride is. I don't either, but, but I know what is happening in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of. Okay. It's happening under the Quinjet. Uh-huh. But um, okay, are you ready for some major ride spoilers, folks in Anwar? Let's do it. <gasps> okay, they have developed a new kind of simulator vehicle. Um, it is a jetpack ride. Everyone what? rides jetpacks and fights aliens alongside the Avengers who are also riding jetpacks. So it is a screen-based ride. I think the closest um, you would find to it is, uh, well, the new Guardians coaster they're developing for Florida, but also the e-ticket. I'm using air quotes around e-ticket right now because, of course, Universal Studios doesn't have e-tickets. But the e-ticket Harry Potter ride in um Universal Studios, also Boo J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's you're flying through uh, New York and and Wakanda and all these other places, um, fighting aliens in your jetpack. That's pretty rad. So so yeah. so yeah. So you must be strapped in. You you must be strapped in via like what feels like a backpack, and then you, yeah, it's you're, like a chair, and thing. you're on an arm. Then yeah. I'm not oh, sure exactly because cool. the concept art shows people flying around, not the arms. Well, anything, obviously you know. they're going to show people but. flying around, but like, <laughs> yeah, but, but it's yeah, cool. Make, yeah, you got that, little dangly feet. Yay! I think it also is probably similar to Soarin' Over California mm-hmm. as well. I think it's like a combination of all those rides, like with the air and everything, um, flight of passage in uh, uh, Animal Kingdom. I cannot wait for this ride. I think it'll be incredible. I cannot wait. I've been hoping and hoping Disney would get a ride similar to that Harry Potter ride because I'm I'm too mad at J.K. Rowling to be super psyched about Harry Potter World anymore. Fair, fair. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled. I'm so excited, especially because, you know, Web Slingers, like, it's not something I would wait in line for three hours to ride, but, like, I'd wait in three hours, for three hours to ride a jetpack. So that's my big news. That's it. 
that just sounds exciting. Like I'm, I love the idea of like riding around and like helping. So like, will it be interactive in any way? Cause you said you're supposed to be. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause it, it's just three paintings that they have. Oh, I see. I see. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's yep. still very cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe it will be like some sort of like experience ride similar to, um, uh, I'm trying to remember. Rise. No, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the ride in, in Universal, the Harry Potter ride. Oh, I don't, it's Escape from <sighs> Gringotts, isn't it? No, that's in Orlando. That's oh. the one in, that's the one in Diagon Alley. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't remember because I uh, was just starting to get my hopes up about Harry Potter. And then I have gone on a Harry Potter uh, diet. Mm, but yes. um, <laughs> the one thing I do know is they are going to have an extended really cool pre-show as well, uh-huh. where you actually take a flight to Wakanda to do the mission. Because yeah. um, oh. that was one of the paintings as well. So the... that would be similar to the Rise of the Resistance queue. Yeah, I exactly. I was just, yeah, I was just about to say, it's like, oh, like Rise of the Resistance, where they, yeah. like, you go up in the transport and then, oh, surprise, you've been yep. captured by, uh... Oh, no. By... <laughs> All these cast members threatening you. Not the Empire. You. They're not uh, the Empire. They're the new Empire. Oh, they are they're the Empire. They're the, um... The, no, they're the new Empire. What are they called? The First Order. Um, the First Order, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm the biggest Star Wars person, and I... Oh, I know. Boy, that was embarrassing. At this, like, but then again, at this point, we're, like, fish, we're like fishing through, like, three or four different fandoms in our heads. So, so much it's like, more. oh, my God. Okay, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can't wait to ride that ride. Um, I'm much more excited about Avengers Campus now that I know mm-hmm. that you get to fly to Wakanda. Like, I just kept thinking, like, what is Avengers Campus supposed to be? And, mm-hmm. like, if it's a space, like, a, a port to go to Wakanda to do this mission. Cool. I think the purpose of Avengers of Avengers campus was just to kind of be like a, a spot. Like I, I say the purpose of it, but obviously the purpose of it is for, you know, money, but uh, oh, I meant within the like immersive lore. Like what, I, what yeah, is it? That's what deal. I'm meaning as well as that. Um, I think it's just meant, to, well, uh, apparently the one in California, the one in Anaheim, the purpose of that one is because, uh, Doctor Strange discovered a hidden sanctum in Anaheim there oh. on the grounds of Disneyland or on the grounds of, <laughs> of California Adventure. And then he built it. And then so he built the sanctum or I don't know if he discovered the sanctum or have something to do with that. But, yeah, he discovered it. And then basically the Avengers came and built everything else around it. Uh, sense. from it's an Avengers headquarters now yeah yeah from what yeah. I understand if I'm if if I remember that makes correctly sense to me the mini sanctum centaurum in California adventure looks so cool apropos of nothing like it looks so cool I want to hang out there it looks so very bad. very cool yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah. um, that's all I know about it. Like I said, it was just three paintings and an article of people extrapolating the information from the three paintings based on past concept art, you know, yeah. but, um, and what little they know. But I just thought everyone would be really excited. That is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. All right. Did so, it. well, all right. Well, then uh, next little bit of news I think I have is uh, so there's actually quite a bit like little tiny little things. Um, mm-hmm. Masks are now officially uh I'm not going to say they're unnecessary, but they are but no longer required. Yeah, they're no longer yeah. mandatory for people who are fully vaccinated, uh, as well as cast members. Uh, so that's nice. So things are starting to pull forward ahead. I think they're still maintaining physical distance with the characters and things. Uh, yes, and I they think are. they're still trying to um, uh, implement physical distance within the parks and everything. Actually, they've, um, I, I've they been watching vlogs. They've, um, at night, they've been taking up all the physical distancing markers in the queues. Oh, okay. 
Yep. Um, so, like, on the first day, uh, on the 15th, like, they weren't totally, totally all scraped up because it's a huge job. But mo uh, most of them are gone, and the ones that were still there were just, like, remnants of, like, well, we'll have to tackle this in the night and, and get it off, like, with a paint scraper kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, um, physical distancing outside is not being enforced. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. Inside, non-vaccinated people are still required to wear masks. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. So I guess that's, yeah. I guess you just really need to make sure you have your vaccination card with you. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, no, actually, it's on the honor system. Uh, okay, well, but, all right. You know, okay, but also you're risking yourself. If you're a vaccinated person and you go in there, then you're vaccinated. And if you're unvaccinated and not wearing your mask inside, then maybe you're going to get COVID-19 and maybe you shouldn't do that, in my humble opinion. I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, so uh, there's that. And then... Uh, we're seeing uh, some of the in Disneyland in Anaheim. The uh, the bands have come back. The bands are now marching again. So that's nice. I saw a couple of videos of them performing there in yeah. on Main Street. That's nice to see again. That's lovely because my my dream is to ride the King Arthur carousel with the Fantasyland band. That's what I really want to do. Yeah. So that's nice to see again. Is uh, all them kind of, you know doing their thing, which is great. There's another little thing that I think is kind of an extension of things, but there's, so there's an online game called Sea of Thieves. Oh. Uh, and they just released a new little mini, they released a crossover because it's, it's a video game in and of itself, but they just released a crossover called Sea of Thieves, A Pirate's Life, in which you are crossing over with the world of Pirates of the Caribbean. So Captain oh. Jack is a character in this game that you can interact with. Uh, cool. Yeah. So that's, that's a little bit of a, like a little tangential thing. Uh, if you're a gamer, that's apparently going to be very, very fun. Uh, I saw the trailer of it. It looks really, really nice. Like it legitimately looks really fun. Uh, it, it looks like it's basically just the regular Sea of Thieves games, but then like a little bit of Jack Sparrow is like in, like put in a little bit. So it doesn't look like he's like the main, main focus of the game. Which, which I kind of like. I like that the game is still being itself. It's just It just happens to have elements of pirates in it. Totally. Which I kind of prefer because then it doesn't feel like it's like, oh, this is just pirates trying to be pirates again. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have found the Pirates franchise to be um, a mix of a little repetitive and a little bit like off the rails when they run out of ideas. Oh, so, absolutely. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm stoked. For me, for me personally, I think the first... I'm going to say the first three films are probably the best ones out of all of them, mm -hmm. only because, I mean, my favorite is still the original, because the original one is just in and of itself a good movie. Um, yeah. You know. Oh, I, I think the first one is fantastic. It, when yeah. I saw that first movie, when I was a kid and had ridden the ride, it blew my face off. Mm -hmm. It's It does such a good job. Uh, and then two and three are okay. I think two and three are good. Uh, I think it just was very much a moment of like, oh, this first movie was really, really good. So I guess we're making sequels now. But the mm -hmm. thing that they did with it, I th they still made those first three more or less a trilogy, even though two and three were definitely afterthoughts. But they still kind of felt like a cohesive, a cohesive story, more or less. And then all the ones afterwards just kind of were like, all right, well, this is a thing, I guess. So this <laughs> But yeah, anyway, we'll talk about the Pirates movies at some point. Oh, I cannot wait. We totally should. I know they're not animated, but like... No, but they're... They're, they're, they're based on a Parks ride. Who cares? Yeah, they're based on the Parks ride. We can't not talk about them. 
they're kind of yeah. important. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So all in all, oh, um, did we talk about this already about Loki having different costumes? Oh, I don't know if we did, but I've been talking about it to everybody. So let's talk about it again. Okay. I'm so stoked. You take yes. it away. So the cool thing is, is like with Loki being available now on Disney Plus, which is which is, <laughs> which is a great show, by the way. I'm actually really, really oh, liking it's it. So good. Episode two was one of the best hours of TV I've ever watched. So much so that like episode three was really good. But like I just kept yearning for episode two. Yeah. So that's another story for another time. Yeah. And so I'm really liking Loki. Uh, and it seems that with every new episode, he seems to be getting a new feature costume in the park. So, like, so in the cool. beginning, you know, you had him in his regular Loki uh, Loki outfit with the green and the horns and everything. And then, you know, occasionally he, would ha- he wouldn't have the helmet on, so he would just let his flowing black hair just be there. Uh, uh. And then since the show happened, he, he was in his TVA prisoner uniform. Now, apparently, he's in his TVA variant uh, outfit, like, with the coat on. So, yeah. like, I'm liking... And the tie. And the tie. Oh. So I'm really, really liking that they're including all so of that cool. stuff. Yeah. So cool. Oh, my God. I know it's all very corporate, but, like, they've <sighs> they've got me. They got me. They trapped me. I'm trapped. Yeah. Loki is the my favorite um, fake boyfriend fictional character of all time, <laughs> if I may. Um, I read a lot of fan fiction about that <laughs> frost giant, and um, I have a lot of thoughts. A lot of thoughts about um oh also canonically bisexual now straight up came out yeah. to um in the series and i know that's a spoiler but i don't care because that's incredible yeah i was actually just gonna say that if we're gonna talk about loki let's talk about loki uh so yeah i like it it's great i highly mm-hmm. recommend it mind you again i'm i'm recommending all of the disney plus marvel shows because they're all great for their own reasons like, yes, like, but the thing is, though, like with Loki and WandaVision, you get away from the Marvel formula a bit in a way that you don't as much with Winter Soldier. Um, so if you're looking for something different or you're feeling Marvel burnout, I think you can still give Loki and WandaVision a chance. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and and since we are in, in Pride Month, I think it's doing a really good job of like, yeah, because like as fans of the comics and as fans of Loki, we all already knew that he was... Uh, a pansexual gender fluid character within the comics right so that that none of that was news to us it was more a matter of whether or not marvel as a company was going to actively let that exist and be a thing well i mean disney more than anything they're very like fearful of having representation because of um russia russian and chinese markets but like also people people exist and representation is important yeah uh, which is why I'm very happy with how with what they're doing with Loki because like you, like it right in the f- in the first episode I think yeah like right in the first episode on his file it shows yep. that it shows in his thing sexuality gender sexuality gender fluid, fluid. so mm-hmm. already that's been confirmed and he, and in episode three you have him talking to uh, this other Loki variant who goes by the, who goes by Sylvie we're not sure why but yeah that's that was weird we're not sure why but I'm sure well I'm sure that's something we'll find out eventually at least i'm hoping otherwise that's a hell of a red herring um yeah (laughs) just that's just poor writing um and so yeah and so like they're like talking and they're talking they end up talking about relationships and then sylvie's like is there you know was there another like asgardian princess or even prince and 
Loki was just like, no, not really. Effectively confirming the the, yeah, well, the bisexuality. He said a little column A, a little column B. Like, that's not yeah, the quote, but he really, right, yeah. he didn't shy away from it. It is not, there's no ambiguity whatsoever. Yeah. It was like, well, I've dabbled in a little of both, but love itself is, um, and he went on and was like, bad but you know we would expect nothing less here's the question anwar Mm -hmm. here's the question is loki going to bang himself as a woman i need to know (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't think so only because i feel like that would just be weird but i mean of all the characters and all the lores and all the world who's the most likely to bang themselves yeah but this isn't norse loki remember this isn't this isn't loki from the norse mythology this is loki from marvel I'm just saying I'm holding out hope. I want it. That would be I, interesting. I, I, I don't like that the – and this is – apropos of nothing. It doesn't matter. But I don't like that the design of Lady Loki has blonde hair. Oh, okay. Care. I mean, sure. But we also have to remember that this is a variant, yeah. right? And yeah, that's true. Right. I just it, I find it distracting. But also, I mean, Loki has said a couple of different times – also, this is very spoiler heavy. I know you've already been spoiled, but like – fast forward five minutes if you're if you're stressed out um he said i would never treat me like this and Mm -hmm. are you sure you're a loki and she said don't call me loki but it's like maybe she's not really loki it's possible yeah i mean it's still very up in the air like who she really is Mm -hmm. like there's uh there's talk that she's a combination of this care of of lady loki and also this other character who goes by enchantress in the x-men comics Mm -hmm. so because she does a lot of enchanting right so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. It apparently we're only three episodes in to a six episode season. So I'm hoping at questions get answered. Yeah. So here's hoping. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all in all, Loki, great. Highly recommend. I'm very excited for next week. And also, like, the last thing, mm. the dialogue is masterful. There's a mm-hmm. lot of exposition in this show. There's a lot of just sitting there and talking about concepts, especially between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. Their chemistry's off the charts. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. I, I, like, I can't say enough good things about just well-written dialogue. You know, dialogue is my, <laughs> dialogue is my kink. It is. Like, it's so good. All right, that's all. It I is, legitimately. Say. Like, the, 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 the communication between all the characters is great. The chemistry between all the characters is great. Uh, it's doing a good job of giving you information concisely and without dragging things on for too long. Mm-hmm. Like the exposition is doing really well. And especially knowing it's only going to be six episodes. I'm actually really happy with how far we've come already. Just yeah. ex- just like in terms of what we know. And well, what here's we're, one what problem I have. If this show went on for 10 years, 10 seasons Ew, of Loki gross. and Owen... Wait, let, let me finish. Right. So... Owen Wilson and Loki as a one at like a, a buddy cop uh, <laughs> law and order tra- tracking down a different Loki variant each week. I would never stop watching that show. I would go broke. I would go bankrupt supporting the show. I would watch it forever. Marvel, I know you're listening. Give me this show. <laughs> Give it to me. I mean, okay. I just fundamentally yep. have a problem with any series going past like going that long. Any I show- do except this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get it, but like, oh, when he was doing buddy cop stuff in episode two, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever been happier with a TV concept. I was just so content. It was it was legitimately so very fun. It was very fun. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Sorry, I, I just okay. I could talk about Loki all day. That's okay. I've I've been looking up Loki mouse ears on Etsy lately. Like I can't handle how much I love Oh, I'm sure they're there. They have oh, to be. Oh, they are. They have they have the bow and then like horns coming back, curling back from the bow. Oh, and I that's think I fabulous. That's yeah. fabulous. I love that. I want to go. I want to wear them. I want to go meet Loki. I want to be like, I'm your cheerleader. I want to. I I'm gonna. I'm gonna be chill because it's just an actor in a suit. But like, I want to go meet. <laughs> well, moving on from Loki because apparently, if we don't, then we're just gonna talk about it all for all, like all day. Uh, I mean, I don't mind, <laughs> but Loki to Luca. Lu- Loki to Luca. So now Luca. Luca. I loved it. I loved it. Bottom too. line. Um, I have to admit, I am seeing a lot of people talking about how they 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 got a whole lot of like uh, queer a- analogies and uh, and that sort of thing from this story. Personally, I didn't immediately see any of that. However, in hearing all of the discussion that's been going on about the film, I can see it now. I think yeah. for me, I, I mean, it read as queer allegory to me while I was watching it. Like it mm-hmm. really, really did. Um, but I, I can see also how like it wouldn't if you don't like, especially if you're choosing not to see it. I yeah. can see like it's not, it's not brave enough to be explicitly queer. Yeah, I think for me because I wasn't actively, I, I, I was just looking at it at face value as like this is just a cute film about a boy who's also a sea monster, not even really a sea monster. Like I feel like there's an actual name for what he is for yeah, what Luca he looks, is. He's like the creature from the black lagoon. He's yeah. like, he's like the shape of water guy. I yeah. guess that's kind of, I feel like there's an actual name for that kind of monster. Anyway, I'll see. But uh, yeah, so I was, I was just looking at it. I was like, this is just a, queer, a cute story of like a kid who just wants to experience the world that's bigger than what he sees, you know? And I feel like in that sense, I 100% relate because like, you know, the world itself fascinates me and I like to experience new things and I love to travel. Right. And it's like, so I guess, I don't know, like for me, I just didn't immediately attach to the, the queer aspects of the film. Uh, but I can definitely see why other people did. And I a hundred percent support it because I think it's even so like, it's still just, it was just a really cute movie. Yeah. Right. So, but like you know, stuff like getting sent away to be with a relative for a very long time and yeah. stuff when you um, are pursuing this other boy really was. I mean, I th- I can see how people would connect mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Much. No, absolutely. Um, I can see it as well. Also, I just googled it, and the creature from the Black Lagoon is called the Gill Man, <laughs> and uh, Luca is they. I can't find any identity for exactly what kind of sea monster he is, but. Um, uh someone says sea iguana nah. i don't think that's real but um yeah so he's he's a descendant of the gill man let's say all right all right gill that's man. Fine. i think i was more just looking at like uh there has to be a creature like in monster lore uh that is able to transform between human and i guess water creature whenever they a nymph? Th- is that it kind of because, like, I agree with you. It's a very, like, specific power yeah. they have. Like, they just go and turn into... Um, but uh, nymphs are personifications of nature. No, They're typically no, tied not. to a specific place. but And they are usually depicted as beautiful maidens. Mm-hmm. They can come out of the water and, and bang gre- humans. And they're also... But that's also Grecian. Uh, yeah. Um, there's there's naiads and 
oh, I will pronounce this wrong. Nereids are sea nymphs. Mm-hmm. Naiads are freshwater nymphs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've, I'm sure they borrowed from a lot of different uh, lore. And I mean, the play, it takes place in Italy, right? So yeah. I don't know. Italian sea monsters. I'm Googling Italian sea monsters. <laughs> oh, all I got is a bunch of pictures of Luca. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's not all that important. It was more, I was just curious whether or not there was like I'm an actual I'm curious name. too. Yeah, I, I, I don't see anything. All right, well. Then, oh, well. Uh, hey, you know what? If it's if it's an original concept, then I'm all then I'm all for that too. Yeah, and they look beautiful. I love them. Oh yeah, the character design is also just really really nice. Super cool. Absolutely. Okay, well, all in all, Luca, great. Ten yeah. out of ten. I love it. It's cute. Really simple story. Um, mm-hmm. it's not like an up tearjerker in my opinion. No, like it 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 wasn't like top shelf. A grade Pixar because, but it's not Cars three. But it's so not whatever. Cars three, and it's not the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> oh man, Good Dinosaur is fun to look at, but like, I, man. I was not, I was not a fan of that one. Yeah, no, I, I have no memory of what the plot is now. I, I found it very forgettable. But like the water looked nice. <laughs> sure, the water looked nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I would say it's probably like, I don't know. B level, B level Pixar. Yeah, all in all, it's still very good. It's, it's better than good. the average yeah. everything. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of above average, now we're going to move on to our main topic of the day, which is 1951's Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Now, the first thing I want to say about this uh-huh. is if I had no idea when this film was made, I would say 1963. It is super ahead of its time in style. And I want it to really give a lot is. of credit to Mary Blair. Yes. Ugh, the colors. The colors, the the designs, like even that first room Alice is in with the sort of waffle walls mm-hmm. when she's eating the cookie and um, drinking the drink with the little doorknob. Yeah, yeah. Um, it very 60s to me, all very much. Like as soon as I saw Mary Blair worked on it, I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. If you don't know, Mary Blair um, designed uh, It's a Small World, like the facade, the facade of It's of a Small, small world. world and and the dolls and everything. That's her style. Mm-hmm. It's very clear in Alice in Wonderland. And like, yay for like women. yeah. It's just great. Like visually, this movie is spectacular. I fucking love this movie. Like on, on a visual level, it's gorgeous. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, I like as much as a bonkers trip this movie is, because of course the stories themselves are just bonkers. Uh, I, I still just really, really enjoy it. It's very fun. It's very silly. It, mm-hmm. it takes itself seriously. In its silliness, which is why I think you can fully and you can fully get into it. I think that's why. Yeah. Right. Well, it's also very interesting because it has not just a female protagonist, but a little girl. Um, I'm not sure how old Alice is supposed to be. And I'm the Alice in Wonderland expert, but I just can't remember. But she's she's little. She's like between 10 and 12, I think. Maybe even eight. I don't know. But like, you know, Disney animation, you can't tell. And um, she has to solve a problem for herself. She's mm-hmm. You see this little girl taking responsibility for like, okay, I'm lost. What am I going to do? How am I going to solve this? What am yeah. I going to like? And it also shows her having the strength to like have a rest to break down. But then she gets up and she keeps going, which yeah. I think is a very important thing to show in a, in a movie that you don't have to be strong 
all the time in the face of adversity. You can like you can freak out, but just then keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. So for that, I think like it's a 10 out of 10 on the feminism meter and it passes the Bechtel test. Amazing. It does. Well, sure. I mean, she talks to the Queen of Hearts. They're not talking oh, about a dude. Right. They're talking about lots of stuff. That's yeah, mostly about the Queen herself. <laughs> yeah, croquet. Croquet. Yeah. <laughs> Off with your head. Yeah. Like it passes the Bechdel test. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right, and I think it's. I think the those moments specifically, I think, are most are most prevalent when she's in the forest right before she meets the Queen. Like she's mm-hmm. in the forest, she's by herself, she's like trying to give herself advice and she's like, and she even acknowledges that she's really good at giving other people yes. advice, but she's really bad at taking her yes. own advice. I often give myself very good advice, but I'm very bad at taking it. My very seldom follow it is what she says. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, Speaking yeah. of in the forest, mm. can I just say, as much as I love this movie, there's a sequence I absolutely hate and I fast forwarded through Which one? that I cannot watch and I have not been able to watch since I was a child. And it is the walrus and the carpenter. And I the hate walrus, it. Oh, the walrus and the carpenter. Okay. So actually, I hate it. so this is good because this, so, okay. So as we know, this, this movie is based off of the Alice in Wonderland and through the looking glass uh, books uh, by Lewis Carroll. So yeah. this, as I recall, the Tweedles only appear in the second book, but I might be wrong. Yes, they only appear in in that one. So I I looked it up, and there are a couple things in which are obviously different. So, uh, so yeah, so the Tweedles are only in uh through the Looking Glass. Um, there's also a few like they never mentioned the White Queen. For for example, That's true. uh, they only focus on the red. Uh, well, I mean, like, also, she's she's just the Queen of Hearts in this. That's true, yeah. Because, uh, like, in the books, like, the Queen of Hearts is in the first book, and the Red Queen and the White Queen are both different characters from that, and they're in the second book. But most retellings of Alice in Wonderland, including, I, I wrote a play on Alice in Wonderland, squish the Red Queen and uh, the Queen of Hearts into one character, but... Okay, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. This is, it's, it's great that I have you for, that we have you for this, because, like... <laughs> Because admittedly, like admittedly, I'm not as familiar with a lot of the differences of the of the stories. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so there's that. Uh, a few of the the songs and poems that are in this movie are pulled directly from the books, like are pulled directly from Lewis Carroll himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For example, the, it's honestly very faithful. Yeah, so like the Walrus and the Carpenter, for example, was a poem that was from. Uh, from one of them i believe it's from the the second book i don't remember but i hate it there too it's just more <laughs> visceral when i see it animated yeah uh there's that um they one of my favorite moments is when the cheshire cat is singing uh, a melodic version of the jabberwocky poem yeah which is probably one of lewis carroll's most famous poems Yep. Uh, I used yeah. to have the whole thing memorized. I wonder how much I could still do. I sang a version. I sang a version of it in choir and it was great because oh, we, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. It was silly and weird. And we had like little uh, instruments to go along with it because like in in the in the score, it tells you to play various instruments to go along with it, which I think is very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And in so be, obviously for time constraints and stuff like that, they couldn't include certain characters like the Duchess or the Mock Turtle, the Griffin, mm-hmm. uh, Lobster Quadrille. Honestly, I'm kind of glad that stuff isn't in there because I think um, the whole Mock Turtle joke is very, like, outdated. Mm. I don't even remember total totally. Like, it, it wouldn't. 
I, I don't think people would understand it now. I don't think it would be as, as timeless because mock turtle, um, mock turtle soup is what, um, the mock turtle is referring to. There's no such thing as a mock turtle. The, um, the joke is mock turtle soup. It has no turtle in it, but it's a cheaper imitation of green turtle soup and it has, um, beef in it instead. Also don't eat turtle soup. No. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Hmm, well, there you go. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I feel like Alice especially has a very particular place within the Disney canon because of the fact that Alice was like some of the earliest stuff that Walt ever did. Like, yeah. Like, like way back, way back in like Laffergram's times <laughs> in like the late, t- in like the late tens, early twenties, uh, Walt was basically making these short live action cartoons of Alice in Wonderland with a live actress as Alice. That's cool. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting for him to kind of come full circle now. Uh, because when he came, th- this is all, this is all coming back. This is all coming from memory. So when Walt came to California, uh, to basically start his career as an animator, one of the biggest things he wanted to do was focus on the Alice show, on the Alice cartoon, uh, because that was the thing that really made him more or less successful with Laughograms. So that was going to be his initial, uh, the initial, I guess, journey for the Disney company uh, was going to be through Alice, and then of course things went their went their way, and then he started doing cartoon cartoons, and then of course there was Oswald, and then of course there was Mickey, and then everything took Oswald. off. Oswald, Oswald, yeah. Oswald, we we love you, Oswald. Don't worry, you are not forgotten. <laughs> I will never forget him. I'll never forget Oswald. Uh, yeah, and then basically things took off from there. So it is nice to be able to come back and have and have him come v- revisit this character. And revisit the story that uh, you know really gave him the start, and to do and to do this version of it, which I, honestly, like, I think it was, I think it's great. Like, yeah, there are various things, and yeah, there are some obvious differences between uh, the books and the film. And yeah, at the very end, you question whether or not any of this was real. Whereas mm-hmm. I believe in the books, it's leaning hard more towards that it actually happened to Alice. Am I am I am I correct? Um. No, I mean she wakes up. Same thing. She wakes up from like... on the bank with her sister. Okay. I mean it's still ambiguous. Like she woke up and she's like, "What?" But like it, it's a dream. Uh, okay. All right. Because mm-hmm. I had because I yeah because I had thought like basically is again I haven't actually read the books, but my understanding of it was that like was that um, there was more not evidence, but it was more believed to be that Alice actually went to Wonderland. Rather than yeah. in this, rather than in the in the animated film here, nineteen fifty one version, uh, it is obvious that she just fell asleep uh, with Dinah, her little cat, and then Dinah's yeah. so cute in this. I love Dinah's design. When Dinah waves goodbye mm-hmm. while Alice is <laughs> falling down the rabbit hole, is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's very fun. And yeah, Dinah's Dinah's design is also very. It's also very. It's, I feel like it's unique because it doesn't – Dinah's design doesn't really look like, you know, the other cat designs that we've seen. Like, it, like I don't think Dinah and Figaro are the same character design. No, they're not. Like, they look very different. And I love that. But I love that too. I think it's, I think it's great. But, yeah, and so I was just, I was just curious because, like, in, every, in almost, like, every other iteration of the Alice story that we see, whether it is 
the Alice in Wonderland live action film that we're going to cover next week, directed by Tim Burton, or Mm -hmm. whether it's like the plethora of other Alice like tales that have come out, like, God, like what other stuff is there? There's, um, there's so much. There's, so there's that much. Alice TV series. There's there's so much because it's in the public domain. Yeah. Then I mean, that's the same reason why Peter Pan is so popular, right? Like it's in the public domain, so you can write about it for free, but everyone wants to see it because of honestly the popularity of the Disney films. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's well there's the Alice video games, as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, which are weird and like dark, dark, but are great. Um, but I mean, Alice is pretty dark even in and of itself. It's just not explicitly dark, but the concepts are dark. Yeah, I think it's just more like in all those other iterations, it's very, they very much uh, hang on to the fact that what happened to Alice actually happened, that under yeah. that Wonderland actually does exist. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah. And so I, I mean, like in, in this film, it's just very, very concrete at least to me as a viewer that like, you know, cause you, at the beginning of the film, she's kind of in her, she's already off in her own world, like with her mom. Uh, that's another difference. I that's believe. her sister. Is that her sister? I thought that was her mother. Yeah. I grew up with the picture book of it. Um, so I know explicitly it is her sister. Oh, okay. Well then that's a very, very old sister. Well, she's, you know, yeah. she's, she's like, yeah, I don't know. She always seemed like an older, older sister to me, like between 18 and 20 something. All right. Well, then if she's unmarried. She'd still live at home. Right. All right. Well, then. OK. Talking to her sister who is giving her a history lesson. Uh, and like from the basically from the get go, we see Alice just kind of already like as a character who's very dreamy. She, you know, she has these fantasies and this imagination that really, really gets like really gets away from her. She sings a song about it, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts and then it cuts to her seeing the white rabbit. So, and then at the very end of the film, you see her looking through the door. She's basically walking through, like, this weird portal thing that is super, super already fantastical. And then she sees herself sleeping next to the tree. And so, like, that, all of that with with how the film kind of bookended it, it really felt to me like, yeah, this film is very much, um, I guess concretely telling us that what happened to Alice was a dream. Yeah. At least that's, I mean, I, I agree. That's how I'm seeing it. I agree with your interpretation. Um, and I think that's okay. Cause I think she learned a lot from it, uh, more than she would have learned from that dry ass history lesson. Mm. Um, here's a question, Anwar. Mm -hmm. Why is a Raven like a writing desk? Uh, oh, I actually looked this up and actually, I found an answer. A raven, why is a raven like a writing desk? <laughs> oh, no, I forget. I found the well, answer. There's no, there's no real answer to it. Lewis Carroll didn't intend for there to be an answer. No. I'm going to talk more about Lewis Carroll in a bit. Mm. But um, I have some answers. Yes. All right. I know it has something to do, with, like, I know mm-hmm. it has something to do with, a, with a point. They both make a point or something. I mean... That that's one of them. I mean, there's lots of different ones. Ah. Um, because Poe wrote on both ravens and writing desks. Oh. Um, because it can produce a few notes. Oh, that, I think that was the one that I read. That was the one I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, because outstanding bills are found on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's so funny. That's good. Um, uh, what else is there? Um, they have quills in common. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> 
That's very fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is supposed to be no um, answer to it. That's great. Um, oh, another one that's good is because the notes for which they are noted are not noted for being musical notes. Aha. <laughs> that's good. Uh, yeah. Since we're talking about this, this particular riddle, I want to talk about the the tea party, the mad tea party. Yeah. Because oh my gosh. this sequence is probably the most iconic in this film. Everyone knows everyone knows the sequence. Everyone like knows who the Mad Hatter is. We all know and these the characters. Song. And the yeah. song. So uh so yeah, so the I believe the the Mad Tea Party doesn't happen in the first book. I think it happens in the second book, in Through the Looking Glass. Uh I don't remember. At least that's what the note says here. Uh that um there is no unbirthday party. Uh, it's an idea from Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, and that the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, and the Dormouse are having a never-ending tea party because the Mad Hatter had a quarrel with time. Like, li- well, marvelous. Like, the literal character, time. Like, in this, in, of course. in Wonderland, time is a physical character. And I just think it's hilarious. And they, they, they allude to this in the live-action version uh, because I think the, the, the Hatter mentions it. But I just think it's yeah. I just think it's funny the the fact that's like they're just gonna they just have a never ending tea party because time does not exist in their little pocket, which I just mm-hmm. think it's fun. Uh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's um, the dormouse gives us another little uh, little poem. Uh, twinkle, twinkle, little bat. That's another Lewis Carroll original. Yep. How I wonder what you're mm-hmm. at up above the world so high like a tea tray in the sky. And that's it. That's it's it. It's just a four line poem and it's great and it's adorable. Um, yeah, like the, the visuals in this sequence are great. The song is adorable. The whole, that whole sequence is just so incredibly memorable. Like it's, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. It's no, sur- yes. Uh, it's no surprise to me that that is one of the sequences that's really kind of stuck through and like has very much, you know, been what people generally remember from this. Yeah. Um, well on that note, like there was a big movement in the, early 2010s late aughts of of the 2000s where a lot of people shipped alice and the parks version of the mad hatter um extensively there were web comics about it brianna garcia who's a really really famous disney artist now um Disney fan artist, but also she's done some canon stuff. She's amazing. She wrote a webcomic about it. Tons of fan fiction. Uh, tons of art. Tons and tons and tons. And I totally shipped it. Totally wrote about it. Was so into it. And, you know, it was um, rewritten so Alice would be 18 and come back to Wonderland to find the Parks Mad Hatter and, like, be with him. <clears throat> but, like, the Parks Mad Hatter is super charismatic and cute, so I get it. That's true. I think just for me, knowing that Alice is, like... 12 or however old or however oh, yeah. young she is and then the hatter being obviously not that much young not, He's out not of so time. young yeah but still <laughs> no no i i totally get it. it it was literally a movement based on the theme park ones because she's clearly not a child uh-huh. and sort of you know people wrote all sorts of things to make it make sense and not be weird okay all right <laughs> all right i guess as long as that shit's been retconned because yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was totally retconned. <laughs> but um, yeah, there you can uh, search out when curiosity met insanity if you want to see a real good web comic about it. All right. Uh, subtle plug, I guess. No, yeah, I didn't write <laughs> it, so I don't care. <laughs> Fair. Uh, all right. Let's see. Uh, any. So you wanted to talk about Lewis Carroll? Oh yeah. 
Um, I think it always is worth saying that, you know, Alice Liddell, Little, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, honestly, I've heard it both ways, um, was a real girl and Lewis Carroll is a real person who wrote a real book about her and uh, she was a child and he was not and he took some very sensual pictures of her Mm. and other young girls. Oh, I I remember, I think I remember this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very abruptly, uh, her family sent a very... Uh, again abrupt note to him saying no no more seeing our daughter but no one knows exactly what happened because a lot of the correspondence was destroyed so I think it's always worth bringing it up that we don't know exactly what happened but like that any of his behavior wouldn't fly now despite you know the time being a different time Um, and I just I just thought it was worth mentioning that uh, he had a weird inappropriate relationship with this girl yes absolutely that is yeah I agree that's definitely worth it other than that, like um, the art, the art of the movie is beautiful. It's very, it's a very detailed movie. It's very thoughtful uh, with its pacing because the book is a real like Wizard of Oz style girl goes through adventure meets funny characters on the way. And mm-hmm. I think what they, everything they trimmed, and we already touched on this, was very thoughtful and very well done. And I think it just speaks to how brilliant Walt Disney was at, at, at vision. Mm-hmm. And, and just knowing what would work. And while the film was a failure when it initially came out, it really became successful afterward and became one of the most requested rentals ever by uh, college students yeah. smoking weed. I, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. like there is isn't there's a big uh, there's a big thing about. Oh, no, that's with Wizard of Oz. Never mind. I was going to be like, yeah, like apparently if you watch dark, if you listen to Dark Side of the Moon at the same time as Wizard of Oz, they match up perfectly or something like that. Not to digress too badly, but mm-hmm. I did that the last time I took mushrooms and it was wild. It was so good. It was so cool. But I also took the mushrooms at the same time as an edible and folks don't do that. <gasps> don't do That's that. A lot. Don't do that. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to take mushrooms again after that experience, but um, I highly recommend watching Dark Side of the Moon with the Wizard of Oz. That's <laughs> great. Well, okay. Well, apparently that is a real thing then. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, so originally, apparently Walt wanted to make this a live action film. Oh, I would be interested to yeah. have seen that, but I don't think it would last as well. No, but uh, he wanted to do that because, again, he, he had experience with the Alice comedies that he did before. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was like, oh, I want to do I want to go back to my roots kind of thing. Uh, but then I think after a while he realized, you know what, I think I can do justice to these stories if he, if I do them animated, which, you know, mm-hmm. was ultimately, I think, the better decision. I agree. Absolutely yeah. agree. Because, I mean, look at that Cheshire cat that would not have been possible like, with practical effects at the time. Like, how – can we talk about how iconic that cat is real quick? I love that cat. I have, I have a dress covered in that Cheshire cat. I love him. Like, how – I love him. Like, how, like, we're talking about, like, these characters and – so many of these characters have like stayed relevant and impactful and like everyone knows these characters, right? Yep. Like she meets, she meets a lot of characters in this, in, in this film. She meets, uh, the doorknob, Mr. Dodo, uh, Bill the lizard. She meets the white rabbit. She meets the Tweedles. Mm-hmm. She meets the caterpillar. She meets the flowers. She meets, uh, all the weird little creatures that are in that forest that apparently like can fade in and out of existence uh she meets the cat like she meets the king of hearts all of these characters she meets and only the queen the treasure cat uh the hatter herself obviously Mm -hmm. uh and like the white rabbit are like the five more most iconic characters from that film that people still still people still remember 
Yeah. And I think it's interesting how, how, like, out of all those characters, those five are still so very famous. And it's like, and, and, and they didn't even really, in the grand scheme, they didn't really do much. I mean, like, the queen, yeah. the queen I can understand because the queen is kind of, like, the, the funny thing about this movie is that there isn't really a villain up until she meets the queen who then becomes kind of a villain sort of question yeah, mark. But I mean, she's got her own stuff going on. I <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I get that. I get that. But I, I just think it's interesting. I don't think she's an antagonist. I think the antagonist is just being lost. Well, that's the, and that's what I mean is that like this, this movie I think is also unique because in how it tells the story, because there is no clear cut antagonist throughout the film. It's really just her kind of like going through this journey, trying to find the rabbit and like meeting all these characters until, you know, finally a clear cut villain is finally seen. This kind of thing doesn't really happen in in film or at the very least it's uh, like in none of the other Disney movies that we've seen up until this point uh, has this kind of thing happened. I mean, like maybe you can think about yeah. it in like in Bambi, there isn't really a clear cut villain. But I guess. Well, it, I mean, it's it's man. That's right? the thing. Yeah. And so like it's just this ethereal concept of man that is more or less prevalent throughout the film because, you know, they warn about man, right? Yeah. Or even in, like, Pinocchio, the, he's, he has, like, in the various segments, there are still clear-cut villains, right? Yes. Like, when he's, when he's you know, when he's going off to school, it's Honest John and his cat friend who are, like, who are the only two anthropomorphic animals in this movie, which is interesting. Yeah, it's weird. And then there's Stromboli, and then there's the guy who basically kidnaps all the kids. And then it's uh, Monstro. So there are clear-cut villains throughout all of those different segments. Whereas in mm-hmm. Alice, in all these different segments, there aren't really clear-cut villains until the Queen of Hearts, which I would, totally, which I just think is interesting. I mean, like I guess you can kind of consider like when, like when she meets the flowers, they kind of become villains. But I think at but that they're point, just jerks. They're, they're just annoyed at her. They're just like, "No, you're a weed. Get out!" Like, yeah. So, yeah, and I just, like, it just kind of, like, clicked in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, no, like, the, this this movie, this story, how they do it, very much goes against what we would normally expect from uh, a Disney animated film, which I liked, yeah. right? And it's not even really all that much of a musical either. Like, No, it has a lot of songs, but they're very short. Yeah, it has a lot of songs, but I wouldn't consider this movie, in, like, a musical. Like, I wouldn't consider it a musical, like, actually, I don't even really consider Cinderella that much of a musical, really. I mean, I don't know. It has it has some songs. But, yeah, it's it's they don't follow the traditional contemporary musical theater structure that we're used to. Mm, maybe that's and why, yeah. Maybe that's it's, why. It's, yeah, I mean, a, a musical has to have an I want song. A musical has to have um, a big catastrophe right before the intermission or at least a big, like, cliffhanger. It has to have all this stuff. So, one, changing a musical into three-act format um, is very Difficult. weird. and Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, because it, it makes noise in your head while you're listening to it. You absorb all these formats that are that are, you know, the way things are done, even if you don't know um, academically what they are. So I think that's part of it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I would always define something like that in live action as a play with music, not as a musical. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's sort of what I think of Cinderella and um, also uh, was sorry, Alice. Alice, yes. And pretty much every other like film that we're going to watch up until we get to, bless you, 
right up until we get to the Disney Renaissance, which, uh, which, you know, thanks to Howard, yeah. finally adheres to the, uh, what we know as a contemporary musical uh, yeah. breakdown. Well, Ashman and Mencken are one of the best musical theater writing teams of all time. And that is an objective fact. That's not my opinion. That's just like Disney was very lucky to snap them up. Uh-huh. But I'm um, going back now that I'm thinking of it. Um, Cinderella does have an I want song. She has um, it, it's sort of indirect, but she sings a dream is a wish yeah. your heart makes. I would, and she doesn't really yeah. talk about what her dream is, but she says she does have one. And I think that yeah. that could count. I guess that could count. It, it's very loose but i yeah, yeah. okay yeah i can see and we've that got, so this is love and we've got sing sweet nightingale is there anything else in that movie not really at least nothing that so, sticks like, out immediately yeah yeah i think i think we could cl- clarify it classify it rather as a musical okay. um but i think it would need a few more songs but like if you come to that frozen is not a musical because it doesn't follow contemporary musical theater stru- structure and we'll get there mm. but disney tends to play with what that structure is mm-hmm. so it's like is it a musical i don't know i don't i'm just talking now but i i like talking about musicals it's um it's a tough call well i mean like i would i guess frozen kind of has the and i want to i mean i would probably say Frozen has an I want song for sure, but after Fixer Upper, it stops being a musical. There are no more songs. That's true. Uh, but I but I feel like that's just kind of a, a thing with Disney. Just in general, for some reason, their, their films after, like, once we get into the, like, the third act of the film, they basically drop all music. That's just kind of a it's thing. It's weird. Well, some of them, but like you look at something like Aladdin um, and you have at least like the Prince Ali re- reprise, right? But I would pro- I would um, consider that at like the beginning of the third act. But then like after that, the only real song that happens after that is like the the ending um, Whole New World reprise as they're flying away like into the into the sky. But even then, like that's for like 10 seconds. For sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm just saying like that still there's still a song like for frozen i've always thought like they don't even have a reprise of for the first time in forever that happens as they pull out of arendelle they don't have santino fontana singing a villain song about i'm not gonna kiss you like they could do it all with reprises okay i know we're not talking about frozen (laughs) but um they could do a reprise in a minor key of Love is an Open Door with Hans being like, no, bam, villain song. They could do a reprise of Do You Want to Build a Snowman when Anna freezes? Yes, I want to build a snowman or whatever. And then as they leave, they, they could do For the First Time in Forever in the same way they do The End of Beauty and the Beast with um, uh, the, the coral, the giant coral swelling Beauty and the Beast. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like it doesn't follow musical theater structure to me in the same way that the Mencken stuff does, Ashman okay. Mencken stuff. But I still think the songs are good. I'm just saying that structurally, it it I would again maybe call it a play with music, even though it has the I Want song. It doesn't follow the structure as all. Okay, all right, I see. But point. it's a clear cut I Want song. You're totally right about that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fine. And all is subjective. That's very true. It is. 
Yeah, but I mean, you look at the Frozen Broadway musical, and again, we're not talking about Frozen, but whatever. Um, they've it's three hours long, which is too freaking long. That's but they had to add in a lot long. of songs. Yeah, but they like Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. They added in a cut song, but mm-hmm. mostly, and they added in like a couple of extra songs to give the Beast more dimension and Belle a little more like what she thinking when she first gets in the castle. But there were enough songs that they had to add very little. Whereas Frozen has a ton of new stuff for the Broadway production. Yeah, but I'm also like, I don't know. I just didn't really like it. No, I I have a lot of we'll we'll talk more about the Frozen Broadway musical when we get there. Yes. But like I could talk for twenty minutes about how much I hate Hyuga. It's the worst song and the worst sequence I've ever seen in any show ever. Mm. Anyway, enough talking about musicals for me. Yes. Take it, Anwar. Uh Alice is great. We should all watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like you know what? If you like doing drugs, do some and watch the movie. Yeah, and just like like actually though, like sit down and watch this movie. It's beautiful visually. It uh, is very, very fun. It's very different to what we're used to. Because, like, even up until this point, like, we've all kind of, like, we've kind of, we've seen various things. We've seen tragedy. We've seen love. We've seen, you know, all that kind of stuff up until this point. And then Alice comes in and, like, is like, nope, we're going to do something entirely different. Here's a, here's a weird bonkers adventure. And I love a weird bonkers adventure. Yeah, and I'm fully into it. I love it. It's great. So, yeah. I love it. It's great. Watch it. Yep. Watch Alice Watch in Wonderland. It. There's a reason it, there's <laughs> a reason it's this iconic. There's a reason that it's, you know, permeated and is, you know, as still today as iconic. as, you know, iconic as it was back then. I mean, well, maybe not as it was in 1951. Because uh, as you say, yeah. it didn't do so well initially, which, you know, a lot of the films at this point, Cin- Cinderella really, really took off for sure. Cinderella was yeah. big. Uh, and then like the the rest of this Silver Age kind of coasted more or less. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, oh, OK, OK, OK. Um, but all in all, yeah, Alice is great. 100 percent. We should watch it or you should watch it. And we should watch it. Let's watch it again. <laughs> Well, I'm excited because next next week we're going to be covering the live action Alice in Wonderland that was directed by Tim Burton, which, you know, I honestly, because I haven't seen it in a while, but like thinking back on it, honestly, I really liked it when I first watched it. But I think that was because I don't hate it. I no, go ahead. I think I think that's because uh, it like visually, I remember it being good. It is. I, I wish there were more practical effects. And I really mm. dislike the design of the Mad Hatter, but that's okay. it. that's my only problem. I like the character of the Mad Hatter. I don't have a problem with Johnny Depp's performance at all. It's just I don't like the um, the grease paint covering his face coupled with the opaque colored contact lenses means like I, I can't really connect with the character. Very uh. well. But I know that's a personal thing for me. I've never really liked opaque color contacts because I just feel like suddenly you look like you have glass eyes and I can't. I can't uh, yeah, yeah. You. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Cool. Yeah. But like I really I overall really enjoy that movie. Yeah. All yeah. right. Oh, and I love Anne Hathaway's design in that movie. Ugh. Oh, it's so pretty. Yeah. Ooh. Anne Hathaway's All great. All the costumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, visually right, we'll get there. Again, visually the movie's great. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next week we're covering Alice twenty something. Something. I forget what year it was. Twenty sixteen? No. I want to say twenty twelve. Yes? Let's find out. No. Alice in Wonderland. Twenty ten. Twenty ten. Damn. Oh God, time is linear, and I hate it. Ew, gross. 
I know. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go <laughs> contemplate our own mortality for a week and see you next Yay! week. Yay! <laughs> yeah, see you all next week. Thank you all for joining us. You can all find us, of course, on the various sites, you know, on the 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 the, the Twitters and Instagrams at cast underscore Diz. Yeah, and Facebook. And Facebook at DizCast. Uh, and yeah, follow us. And we, because that's where we like to try and interact with you all. Please do. We love the interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, like, I don't know, tweet us your favorite character from Alice. Tweet us yeah. what you like we'll about talk Alice. To you. We will respond, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. See you real soon. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>